Book One, Chapter Seven of Precious Bane by Mary Webb. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Padrian. Pippins and Jargonelles. Mother looked up when I went in. She was stitching the smock. What a big girl you look coming in, Prue, she said, and you not near sixteen yet. I asked where Gideon was. Cutting by moonlight. Such a lad I never saw. Labours and sweats as if summat was after un. Well, the moon's setting down behind the churchcroft now, mother, I said, so he'll be bound to give over. I went to the meadow. He'd got as much cut as a full-grown man could ha' done. He was rubbing the scythe down with a handful of grass and honing it for putting away as I came over the field. I thought it sounded nice coming over the wet dimmery swathes and sad as well. When I called to mind all the things he'd taken on shoulder, I was sorry for un. Come thy ways in to supper, Gideon, I said. By gum, you look like a ghost stealing out from under the dark hedge, all in your blacks with that white face. Then he seemed to remember him of all we'd got in hand. He began to cross-wound me about the work. Shut the fowl up? No, be quick about it then. It should have been done this hour. Look the traps? No, I thought you would. When I'm mowing, I canna do aught else, save in the jobs that are too heavy for you. There been a many of them. When you've done the fowl and the traps, you can set a two-three night lines in the mere. I've got some sawing to do yet. It'll take a terrible long while, and I'm no good at setting the night lines, I said, nearly crying, being tired already, and it late, and another day's work beginning, seemingly. Did you make a bargain or didn't you? Ah, I did, Gideon. Then abide by it. Wandering about the place when mother was abed and Gideon in the fields, I felt lonesome. I wished there was some shorter way to be as beautiful as a fairy. Then a thought came to me all of a sudden. I wonder it didn't come afore, but then I'd never much minded having a hair lip afore. It seemed to me that often it's only when you begin to see other folks minding a thing like that for you that you begin to mind it for yourself. I make no doubt, if Eve had been so unlucky as to have such a thing as a hair lip, she'd not have minded it till Adam came by, looking doubtfully upon her, and the Lord frowning on his marred handiwork. Now my thought was this, why shouldn't I, that was in sore need of healing, do as the poor folk did here at Sarn in times past, and even now and again in our own day? namely at the troubling of the waters which comes every year in the month of august to step down into the mere in sight of all the folk at the wake dressed in a white smock it was said that this troubling of the water was the same as that which was at bethesda and though it had not the power of that water which healed every year and for which no disease was too bad 
it being in that marvellous holy land where miracles be daily bred, yet every seventh year it was supposed to cure one, if the disease was not too deadly. You must go down into the water fasting, and with many curious ancient prayers. These I could learn, when I could read, for they were in an old book the parson kept in the vestry. Not that he believed it, nor quite disbelieved it, but only that it was very rare and strange. The thing I misdoubted most was it being such a public thing. I had need be a very brazen piece to make a show of myself thus, as if I were a harlot in a sheet, or a witch brought to the ducking-stool. And sure enough, when I spoke of it timidly to mother and Gideon, they liked it not at all. What, says Gideon, make yourself a nay-word and a show to three hundred folk? You met as well go for a fat woman at the fair, and had done with it. Only... I am na fat, I said. That's neither here nor there. You'd be making yourself a talked-about wench, from Sarn to Lullingford, and from Plash to Brampton. Going down into the water, the like of any poor plagued o man, without a farden. Folks would say, there's Sarn's sister, darked into the water like poor folk was used to do, because Sarn's too near to get the doctor's mon, let alone the doctor. And when I went to the market, they'd laugh, turning their faces aside. Never shall you do such a brassy thing. It'd be better, a power, if you took and made some mint cakes and spiced ale for the fair when the time comes, like mother was used to do. You'd make a bit that way. Yes, my dear, said mother, you do as San says. It'll bring in a bit, and you'll see all as is to be seen, which you couldna, saving in the way of business, for it'll be scarce two months from father's death. And come to think of it, what an unkind thing it would be for a poor widow to have it flung in her face, afore such a mort of people, that her girl had got a hair-shotten lip. She began to wring her hands, and I knew she'd go back to the old cry in a minute, so I gave in. You've got to promise me you'll never do such a thing, Prue, ordered Gideon. I promise for this year, but no more. You've got a powerful cursed will of your own, Prue, but promise or no, you shanna do such a thing, never in life shall you. And in death I shanna mind, I said, for if I do well and go to heaven, I shall be made all new, and I shall be as lovely as a lily on the mere. And if I do ill and go to hell, I'll sell my soul a thousand times, but I'll buy a beautiful face, and I shall be gladsome for that, though I be damned. And I ran away into the attic and cried a long while. But the quiet of the place and the loneliness of it comforted me at long last and I opened the shutter that gave on the orchard, and had a great pear-tree trained around it. And I took my knitting out of my reticule, for it was on a Saturday after tea that I had spoken of the troubling of the water, and the week's work being nearly done, I had my tidy-gown on, and the reticule to match. 
sitting there looking into the green trees with the smell of our hay coming freshly on the breeze mixed with the scent of the wild roses and meadows sweets in the orchard ditch i hearkened to the blackbirds singing near and far when they were a long way off you could scarcely disentangle them from all the other birds for there was a regular charm of them thrushes and willow wrens seven-coloured linnets canbotlins finches and writing maesters it was a weaving of many threads with one maester thread of clear gold a very comfortable thing to hear i thought maybe love was like that a lot of coloured threads and one maester thread of pure gold the attic was close under the thatch and there was many nests beneath the eaves and a continual twittering of swallows the attic window was in a big gable and the roof on one side went right down to the ground with a tall chimney standing up above the roof tree somewhere among the beams of the attic was a wild bee's nest and you could hear them making a sleepy soft murmuring and morning and evening you could watch them going in a line to the mere for water so it being very still there with the fair shadows of the apple trees peopling the orchard outside that was void as were the near meadows gideon being in the far field making haycocks which i also should have been doing there came to me i cannot tell whence a most powerful sweetness that had never come to me afore it was not religious like the goodness of a text heard at a preaching it was beyond that it was as if some creature made all of light had come on a sudden from a great way off and nestled in my bosom on all things there came a fair lovely look as if a different air stood over them it is a look that seems ready to come sometimes on those gleaming mornings after rain when they say so fair the day the cuckoo is going to heaven only this was not of the day but of summit beyond it i cared not to ask what it was for when the nuthatch comes into her own tree she dunna ask who planted it nor what name it bears to men for the tree is all to the nuthatch and this was all to me afterwards when i had mastered the reading of the book i read his banner over me was love and it called to mind that evening but if you should have said whose banner i could not have answered and even now when parson says it was the power of the lord working in you i'm not sure in my own mind for there was naught in it of churches nor of folks praying nor praising sinning nor repenting it had to do with such things as birdsong and daffodowndillies rustling knocking their heads together in the wind and it was as wilful in its coming and going as a breeze over the standing corn it was a queer thing too that a woman who spent her days in sacking cleaning styes and beasthausen living hard considering over fardens should come of a sudden into such a marvel as this for though it was so quiet it was a great miracle and it changed my life for when i was lost for something to turn to 
I'd run to the attic, and it was a core of sweetness in much bitter. Though the visitation came but seldom, the taste of it was in the attic all the while. I had but to creep in there and hear the bees making their murmur, and smell the woody, oh, a sweet scent of capped apples, and hear the leaves rasping softly on the window frame, and watch the twisted grey twigs on the sky, and I'd remember it and forget all else. There was a great wooden bolt on the door, and I was used to fasten it, though there was no need, for the attic was such a lost and forgotten place nobody ever came there but the travelling weaver and Gideon in apple harvest and me. Nobody would ever think of looking for me there, and it was parlour and church both to me. The roof came down to the floor all round, and all the beams and rafters were oak, and the floor went up and down like stormy water. The apples and pears had their places, according to kind, all round the room. There were codlins and golden pippins, brown russets and scarlet crabs, biffins, nonpareils and queenlings, big green bakers, permains and red streaks. We had a mort of pears too, for in such an old garden, always in the family, every generation will put in a few trees. We had Worcester pears and butter pears, jargonelle, bergamot and good Christian. Just after the last gathering, the attic used to be as bright as a church window, all reds and golds, and the colours of the fruit could always bring my visitation back to me, though there was not an apple or pear in the place at the time, because the colour was wed to the scent, which had been there time out of mind. Every one of those round red cheeks used to smile at poor Prusan, sitting betwixt the weaving frame and the window, all by her lonesome. I found an old locker, given up to the mice, and scrubbed it, and put a fastening on it, and kept my ink and quills there, and my book and the Bible, which mother said I could have, since neither she nor Gideon could read in it. One evening in October I was sitting there, with a rushlight, practising my writing. The moon blocked the little window, as if you took a salver and held it there. All round the walls the apples crowded, like people at a fair waiting to see a marvel. I thought to myself that they ought to be saying to one another, Be still now, hush your noise, give over jostling. I fell to thinking how all this blessedness of the attic came through me being cursed. For if I hadn't had a hair lip to frighten me away into my own lonesome soul, this would never have come to me. The apples would have crowded all in vain to see a marvel. For I should never have known the glory that came from the other side of silence. Even while I was thinking this, out of nowhere suddenly came that lovely thing and nestled in my heart, like a seed from the core of love. End of Book One, Chapter Seven